Hello and welcome to the Mythological Africans podcast, where we read and talk about stories from African mythology and folklore. I am your host, Helen Gay. Episodes of this podcast come from live recordings of the Mythological African Storytime Sessions, which take place every Friday evening at 5 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. in the Mythological African Twitter space. In this episode, we explore the stories of great stunning K-men. So hello everyone and welcome to our gathering, Let's Talk African Mythology and Folklore. And today we are focusing on stories of great men in African mythology and folklore. We're reading from Harold Colander's collection, The Crest and the Hide. Um, and this this book is available. You can borrow it um, online, a digital copy from Internet Archive. And I'm going to sing Internet Archive's praises on ending the in here because without this online library, it would just be impossible to access some of these books so as easily as we're accessing them. So I'm really, really glad to have access to them. And you can get your own, you know, go in there and read it um, with a free Internet Archive account, okay? Internet Archive is not paying me for this but I really, really support the work that they do. I don't think Mythological Africans would be anything without it. So let's do that, right? Create your account and you can check the book out yourself. But today we are going to read stories from the Soninke people. And if you don't know, the Soninke people are found mostly in West Africa. Um, They are found in Mali, Mauritania, Senegal, Guinea, and the Gambia. And if these are not familiar to you, um, when I do a recap, I'll probably put up a map or something. Uh, but what's interesting about the Soninke people is that while they're found in all these countries right now, they were the founders of an ancient empire called Wagadu. And you will see this Wagadu mentioned in many of the stories of the Soninke people. And then after the empire of Wagadu went down, they migrated to different African countries. So you find them there now. And what, what I love about the stories is that they, they really take us outside of this conception of Africa as the, 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 the countries that came out of colonization. It brings to our minds very sharply that there were people, there were empires, there were cultures before what we know now. Um, and it just adds a depth of richness to the story and our, our understanding of people, right? So... Um, what we will do, like I said, is read a couple of stories from the Soninke people in this book. Um, there are a few. The very first one is the story of the first bard among the Soninke. And I, I want us to read this story because, well, bards are storytellers first and foremost. And the storytellers of the Soninke people, you might know them as griots, are some of the most famous on the African continent. And they are um, well known and respected for you know, they're the maestros of oral tradition. So it seems fitting to honor them in our first story. And then we'll read the story. If we have time, we'll read the story of Kirama and Kankejan. And then we'll read the story of Keneburama, who is a Manding hero. Now the Manding people are 
similar to the Soninke people. They share a lot of the geographic um, region, um, but they're not exactly the same people. So, But there is crossover in their stories, as you can imagine. If people live in proximity to each other, a lot of stories and ideas flow back and forth. So um, Kenoburama, a Manding hero, is a Manding and Soninke legend. So we'll, we'll start with you know the first part, and then we'll go and um, read the other ones if we have time. And if you're new to our gatherings, the format is that I read the story and then we talk about it, right? And what I'm interested in in our discussions, first and foremost, what stood out to you? What struck you? What, you know, moved you, made you happy, made you sad? Questions that you might have, comments you might have, especially if it relates to something that you know from the culture out of which you come, right? Because uh, one of my favorite things is reading a story and then having multiple people say, hey, we have this version of this story in our culture. And those are always my favorite discussions on here. So just your thoughts on the story and whatever direction we can take it. And um, then we'll move on from there, read the second story and so on and so forth. And um, as I mentioned, these sessions are recorded. Um, so just keep that in mind. If you're going to contribute, you're being recorded. And I record these stories because they um, get put on a podcasting platform, um, PodSafe Africa. If you don't follow them already, please do, because they're doing excellent work um, promoting African voices. Um, I'll put a link to one of their tweets in the space. So if you want to go check them out, you can do that as well. So before we get started, any questions, comments, check-ins? How is everybody doing? Are we surviving the corona and the monkeypox and all the craziness in the world? Hope everyone is doing okay. You don't have to unmute yourself, but if you just want to throw a heart, a thumbs up, something to let me know everyone is doing all right, feeling all right, and then we will get started. Awesome, CC, I see you. Thank you for being here. Thank you all. Great, great, great. Okay, so we'll get started with our first story. The story of the first Soninke bard. Okay. In ancient times, there were two brothers who went hunting for game in the bush. They traveled far, but they did not find any game to kill. One Two, three days they were in the bush, hunting, hunting, but they did not find anything, and eventually they became lost. They did not know how to return to their village. Hunger overtook them. Because it was a dry season, there was no fruit for them to eat. Because they couldn't find game, they had no meat to eat. On the fourth day, the younger brother said to the older, My brother, I, I cannot go any further. I am too hungry. I have no strength to go on. If I am to die, I will die here. Yes, rest here, the older brother answered. You are my younger brother, and I do not want you to die. I will go on ahead and try to find a small animal of some kind. Then you will have something to eat. So wait for me. Rest here. I will come back. But the older brother left the younger and went ahead. But he did not find anything. There was no game of any kind. And at last, he took out his knife and cut a piece of meat from his thigh. And after that, he returned to where his younger brother was waiting. Oh yes, he said, I found a small animal and killed it. I will make a fire. I will cook the meat for you. When you have eaten it, you will feel strong again. And he made a fire and cooked the meat. When it was ready, he gave it to the younger brother. The younger brother ate and his strength returned. 
And after a while, the older brother saw smoke in the distance and knew that there must be a village out there. Oh, younger brother, he said, don't you see the smoke in the distance? There is a village at that place. Now we will be saved from starvation. I will go ahead to make certs and then I will come back for you. No, the younger brother said, now I feel strong again. I will go with you. So they started out. They traveled towards the place where the smoke was rising. The older brother kept his bloody thigh covered as best as he could, but blood stained his clothing. What, what is that? What happened to you? The bro younger brother asked when he saw. He uncovered the older brother's wound and he touched it. Then he understood everything. Yes, my older brother, he said. Now I understand what you have done for me. You saved my life with flesh taken from your thigh. To give someone your own flesh and blood is the greatest expression of love. Henceforth, I will be your dearly, the bard who sings of your great deeds and of the history of your family. Whatever you ask of me, I will do it. I will follow you. I will serve you. My family will follow your family. My grandson will follow your grandson. My descendants will follow your descendants forever. We will be as slaves to your people until the end of time and sing praises of your noble character. The younger brother became the slave and the bard of the older brother. His descendants became slaves and bars of the older brother's descendants. And they were called Jeli, meaning blood, because of the older brother's blood gift that had saved the younger brother's life. And because they wished to please their masters, the Jeli became accomplished singers and musicians. And they sang stories of times that had passed, of great events and ancestral heroes. To this day, the bards pass their knowledge and their songs to their sons, and the sons become the bards and historians of the families descended from the older brother. Of the two brothers who went hunting together in the bush, the younger became the first Jelly, and ever since that day, it has been the custom for noble families to have bards to recall the happenings of ancient days. So some notes on this story. Um, the story was narrated to Harold Kowanda by Osman Sako of Bamako, Mali, and accounts for the profession of bards known as the Jeli. And as I mentioned to some people, they are called the Griots. And the word Jeli, as mentioned in the story, signifies blood as well as bard, and thus alludes to the older brother's gift. And the Jeli are one of a number of castes, so social classes, among the Soninke, and they rank above the artisan caste. Um, but they are below the grades of nobles in the former, and in the former days they had high prestige and much influence in Soninke life. So while, while people gather their thoughts, what I'm going to do is put some tweets in here because we've actually talked about um, the, 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 the Jeli in on mythological Africans before I did a tweet thread about them at one time and they really it's a fascinating um, um, work that these people do the storytelling um, and there are also women who are jellies uh, I think they're called jelly mosaws and the, the dynamics of the role they play in, in, in their various societies is all very interesting. Um, when I find the tweet, there are links to papers that you want to, if you want to learn more about it, um, you can do that. So while, while I dig all of that up, just thoughts, questions, reactions to this story?
Well, I was just going to say, I wish I had um, known this story back when I was teaching because uh, there's that writer, P.J. Lee Clark, uh, who, who chose that as his name. And so now that name, my students would, would know his writing and um, the story would resonate with them because they would connect it to his name as a popular writer that they know. Mm. So this this is the the Usman, uh, so the Malian person. No, I meant that that there's a writer right now, uh, P. J. Lee Clark, who who um, wrote Master of Jin and Ring Shouter, his newest books, and um, you know that that he chose that name on purpose, but not every American reader reading his books is going to realize the significance of of that name that he chose. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Sorry, my bad. I was kind of my brain was split between listening to you and tracking down the street. So yes, no, that, that should be, that should be, would have been interesting if you, if you had this, but Hey, I mean, internet is a big and a small place. You might be able to find some former students and get their thoughts. Yeah. Be interesting. Would be interesting. Um, something about this story, which really, really stood out to me is I mean, there there are many um, associations you can draw, right? Um, I was raised Catholic, so immediately the symbolism of you know someone giving up their their body, sacrificing their body um, to save another, being something of of noble, speaking to a noble character, um, that that association immediately stood out to me. And it's interesting because this is coming out of an Islamic culture. So I can't say with too much confidence that there might have been some Christian influence here. Um, but also contrasting this to the you know, quite negative portrayal that many African peoples, you know, under the European gaze got as cannibals, you know. Um, it's interesting to see a story where this act, which technically would be termed cannibalism, but is is you know, bracketed within a story that speaks to love and sacrifice and how this this profession, you know, this great, great, great profession, which is a defining characteristic of many, many West African cultures, how how this came out of that. Because, I mean, we know of the story of Sondieta today because the griots preserve these stories. We know a lot of, much of what we know about Western African peoples and who they are because of the, you know, stellar work of these griots over time um so the the note on the stories talks about it purporting to tell the story the origin story of of, of griots and something i'm gonna do is maybe poke around a little and see if there are other stories that account for um this because if i remember correctly um i did a thread on africa in the middle ages and one of the books or the articles or some things I read talked about how um, the griot culture came out of the meeting of African, you know, um, pre-singing culture, at least the, the griot at court, you know, griots as um, ap royal appendages, for lack of a way of putting it, came out of that meeting of, you know, African pre-singing culture with the the court, you know, what's the word, etiquette of the Middle Ages, Middle Age Europe. And um, that would be that would be interesting to explore as well, um, just to get a sense of, okay, where did this practice come from? Um, but also thinking about the fact that even if it's not codified into a, a case or a, a, 
uh, what's the word, a profession, the idea that there would be people who would sing each other's praises or sing another person's praises, that's quite commonly found across most, if not all, African cultures. And even, you know, amongst friends, you always have the hype men, right? You always have the hype men who will, you know, know how to put things together and say things about others in a way that is flattering. So, but then as with many things, you have the mythological folkloric origins, um, which stand side by side with the actual historical conditions that led to the emergence of, you know, a person or a character or a practice. So um, either way, either way, I think this is, this is just fascinating because, you know, it starts as, a story of sacrifice, but then it pulls in all these many different themes that that can be can be explored. But I've been talking for too long, so any any thoughts on this? The different themes that show up in the book, and I put the the tweet about the jelly mussels in um in the space. If you want to go take a look, and there should be some links to some papers here which go really go into the role that the the Jelmuso play yep yep so women and musical mastery in Mali and it goes into the different levels of um of Jelmuso so women griots that exist it's it's a fascinating read highly highly encouraged and you know it's a really interesting glimpse into how women um subverted and wielded power in in these in these cultures so definitely definitely worth taking a look at but any questions thoughts comments if not we'll move on to the next story i i was just going to say this made me so curious about the origin of the word griot because you know this blood word root origin is so powerful in Mm. in jelly and i was wondering about griot and no one really knows where it comes from like some Mm. people say it may be a variation on a, a portuguese word criado but no one really knows, you know, so it's a very different situation with that word and its history, its story. It doesn't have a beautiful story to go with it the, the way this one does. Right, right. Yeah, I think it was with you. I had the conversation on the timeline, Laura, about how, you know, you take a word that has embedded itself so firmly in in a cultural context and then you start poking at it and these amazing stories come out of it. And we were talking about... Um, I believe it was Pekin, which, you know, if you're West African, that's, and in many parts of the Americas as well, though it's considered uh, derogatory now, um, Pekinini is, is a way that was used to refer to um, African children. In West Africa, we say Pekin, in, well, in Cameroon, Anglophone, English-speaking Cameroon and Nigeria, and I believe Ghana, perhaps, and we say Pekin. But then that word is Portuguese in origin. You know, and as some of you may know, the Portuguese were some of the earliest explorers of of the, the Western African coast. Matter of fact, um, the country I am from is called Cameroon, and it sounds very similar to something that we all eat, which is camarons, right? Shrimp. And that is because the the first European or one of the first Europeans to explore the River Wuri, which is one of the biggest rivers in Cameroon, if not the biggest, um, sailed up this river. And this river has one of the most diverse um, shrimp, prawn, crayfish populations in the world. So he saw all these, you know, shrimps in the river and he named it Rio dos Cameros. And then it became, you know, the Cameroons and, you know, became Cameroon under the Germans. And 
Cameroon with the French and Cameroon and it's evolved in all these ways. Um, same thing with Pekin, right? It's Pequena or like a little one in, 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 in Portuguese. And then it's evolved into all these different versions that have mutated with the different um, cultural contexts that they encountered. So would probably something worth digging into as well, Laura, the, the origins of this word Rio and where, where it all comes from. And that's a beautiful thing about the power of Creole, you know, that mm. it's not just an imposition. The Portuguese didn't say you will use this word. No, people decided how they were going to use the word. And it became a new word in, in, in these, you know, the different Creoles spoken in these different places. It's its own word, even though it comes, you know, from Portuguese. Right, right. And it says something about the, the origins of the relationship between Africans and Europeans, which, as we all know, turns very bitter towards the end. But time and time again, what you see is that it was a meeting of mutually curious people who wanted to know about each other, wanted to trade with each other. And then, of course, greed and, you know, dominance and racism kind of infected the relationship and we ended up where we ended up. Um, But language will reveal some very interesting things time and time again, that's for sure. That is for sure. All right. So any any other questions, comments, thoughts before we, we move on to the next story? If not, we will proceed. And I'm just waiting for this page to load because my internet is being... internet is being what's the word oh gosh there's a word in my mind that I want to use and it's not coming precautious is the word my internet is being precautious again so let me let me see if I can find this book from another what? oh well all right so the next book we will read here, my apologies you guys, I kind of mutter to myself as I do stuff, so you guys are privy to my inner commenter. Let's see if we can get this thing going, my goodness. So there's this ice cream machine song that's playing in the background right now. I don't know if any of you can hear it, but I can't ever hear this song now without remembering that there was one ice cream song that was supposed to be a super racist song. And I wonder if if there was any any move to like get that song off the records or whatever, but kind of sours the idea of ice cream machine man coming around for me now i'm sorry you guys i can't get this book to load to save my life and i'm not sure what's going on because we were fine just a few seconds ago so i will keep trying It's very interesting. I feel bad because I, I do have a copy of that book, but of course it's in the book boxes and I can't get to it. So 
not quite like this. All right. So we may be back in business. We may be back in business. If the pages will load. Wow. Goodness gracious me. Well, the Internet Archive has had a rough week, so maybe it's just feeling tired at the end of this long week. I know, I know. So while while we wait to see if things stabilize, um, I'm going to do my Internet Archive spiel again because I we wouldn't be gathered here right now if it wasn't for the fact that they scanned this book and made it available online. And I need to emphasize that Internet Archive is not paying me. This is me out of my own willingness and appreciation for the work they do. Telling you, I see you, Conja, just a second. Um, telling you that it's a public library. Um, the difference is that it's a digital library. And they scan books and make them available online, which you can check out for an hour for 14 days. And it's one at a time. So currently I have this book checked out, and which means you couldn't check this book out right now. And there are, you know, some publishers who are not happy about the fact that books are made available online. Um, but it's almost like if you're going to complain about online, what do you think libraries, how do you think libraries function, right? It's not like multiple people can check out the books at the same time. It's one at a time. And I feel uh, particularly passionate about this because there are many books of African folklore, African history, which are out of print. You just will not see them anywhere. Or if they are in print to buy them, you will be willing, you should be willing to put out a bit of money. The example I give is the collection of erotic African folk tales, which I paid $78 for. That's a lot of money, everything being equal. So, but then with the Internet Archive, many of these books are scanned and available. And I think that um, as African peoples, continental in the diaspora, we have an interest in preserving this knowledge because otherwise these are some of the only written accounts of our people's history and past. And granted, a lot of them are written by European explorers. So we, we want to interrogate, we want to decolonize, but we have to start from somewhere. And if we don't know what we're working with, then anybody can replace our history with anything and that's something we should be concerned about, right? We look at the Americas and a lot of, you know, non-Indigenous people, a lot of European people are struggling because they they were told their history was one thing and then come to find out there are all these aspects of their history that they were not aware of. Um, we don't we don't want that to be our fate. Things are bad enough as they are, right? So this this is not so much a call to action as it is uh, letting you know that this is what's going on. Um, I don't know if there is a specific action people can take, Laura. I, my, what I do is to have an account and to use their work and cite their work as extensively, you know, cite their books as extensively as I can and, you know, donate to them when, when I'm able to, because I think it's mostly a non-profit. Um, but Laura, I know you've done a lot of work with Internet Archive. I don't know if you want to add anything to this before we move on, because I finally have the book loaded. Well, very good. I'll just say really quickly that one of the things that's resulted from this lawsuit is that some of these pub publishers have characterized what the Internet Archive done has done as piracy, and they put a lot of misinformation out there, you know, and so it's yet another one of those topics in the world where there's a lot of misinformation online. And if you see people saying that the Internet Archive is a pirate site, I'll just say that's, that's wrong. And if you want details, 
find me on Twitter and I'll tell you more details probably than you even want to know about the internet. <laughs> well noted, well noted. Thank you so much, Laura. So um, while this loads, because I lost it again, uh, Konja, I saw your hand up. Yes, no, I just wanted to make the comment you were talking about the racist song uh, connected with ice cream. Um, I think the song you're referring to is Turkey and the Straw. And actually, the rapper Riza was supposed, last year, I think it was, within the past two years, was working with Good Humor to write a new tune for their dance. Well, that's good. That's So good. I might have gotten some, I think I'm correct. I know it was, I think he's Riza. I'm not a rap person, uh, <laughs> but I think it's Riza. And he was working with Good Humor. Um, to write a new song so that they wouldn't play the racist song uh, from their vans. And that's all I wanted to say. <laughs> awesome. No, that's that's really good to know because um, something I, I, I don't want to say I stress out about, but it stresses me out when I think about it, is that there's a lot that goes on in online spaces, activism, you know, exposing injustices. Um, but my concern sometimes is that it only stays there. So if it was, you know, made, if people were made aware of the fact that this song that is used by ice cream vans across the country has deep, deep, deep racist um, um, imagery and connotations associated with it, and then it just wasn't changed, that would just be awful, right? So that's that's very, very good to know that something is being done possibly. And hey, maybe maybe it's about time things were things were updated. Um, so thanks, thanks for that that update. That's very good to know. You guys, I don't know what's going on. I really don't know. Um, normally, I don't have any problems with any of this stuff, but I just I can't get this book to load to save my life. Um, let's see. Maybe I have it on my phone, but is it stable? That's the question. Is it stable? Okay, maybe it is. Maybe it is. We might be able to get one more story in before before we have to go. All right. All right, so our next story, if this thing will stay, is the story of Kirama and Kanke Jan. And this is a Soninke story as well. Okay. All right. There was once a small kingdom called Segu. And in the village of that kingdom lived Kone, an aged woman, and her granddaughter. The people of the village gave Kone jaka, that is to say, they gave her food so that she and the young girl could survive. And that was the custom in the former days. Those who had food shared with those who did not. A rich family set aside one twentieth of its crops of sheep to give as jaka to the old, the crippled, and other unfortunate persons. The spirit of jaka was a spirit of respect for all who lived in the village. For some time, the woman and her granddaughter received a part of the people's crops and meat, but the day came when the people became careless and forgot them. They no longer provided the woman with anything. Because she was old, she could not do all the things necessary to sustain her life in dignity. So Kone became bitter and pronounced the malediction on the village, saying, You have forgotten about me. I no longer receive the respect to which I am entitled. Therefore, you will share my misfortune. The rains that water your fields will stop falling. Your crops will dry up. As I suffer, you too will suffer. What the old woman Kone said came to pass. 
The rain stopped falling. The fields dried up and turned brown. The food that people had stored away was eaten, and in order to go on living, they turned more and more to hunting game in the bush. But Kone transformed herself into a ferocious rhinoceros, and when hunters went into the bush to find meat, she killed them. She had the magic power to do this. The rhinoceros was an extension of herself. She did not disappear from her house. She remained there as before, but the extension of herself lived in the bush as a rhinoceros, and a rhinoceros made life very difficult for the people. Many hunters went into the bush and never returned. So the village agreed that if it was to survive, the rhinoceros had to be destroyed. The best of hunters went into the bush to kill her, but they could not do it. Their bullets could not penetrate her hide. The people began to go hungry. The chiefs sent messengers to far-off places asking for help from their hunters. In the neighboring kingdom of Manding were two brothers who were skilled in hunting. The elder was Kirama and the younger was Kankejan. They went to their father and told him that they wished to go to Segu to kill the ferocious rhinoceros. Their father listened and then he said, Yes, I am willing for you to do this, but first go to the village of Kaba and tell your intentions to Simbo Kalaba. He's a learned man with magical powers. So the two young men went to Kaba to consult with Simbo Kalaba. They explained to him what they were going to do. Yes, I understand, he said. Wait a little. Come back after a while and we shall speak of it again. The brothers went away. Simbo Kalaba brought out his divining tree and put sand in it. He moved the sand about with his fingers, then he read its meaning. When Kirama and Kankejan returned, he spoke to them this way. The task you're undertaking is difficult. It cannot be accomplished in the ordinary way. You will not defeat this fierce animal by force. You will not win by sorcery. You will not win by courage or heroic deeds. You can only win by respect and consideration. What Simbu Kalaba said to Kerama and Kankajan had meaning within, but the meaning they did not understand. I also read in the sand that you will arrive at a certain village. The people there will give you a girl as a gift. She will be poor and she may appear ugly. Take her, bring her to me. In this way, you will repay me for divining for you. And so the brothers departed. They journeyed, and in time they came to the kingdom of Shegu. They entered the village where they saw an old woman carrying a heavy load of firewood on her head. Grandmother, let us help you, they said. We will carry your firewood. Now the woman was Kone. And because of her magical powers, when she saw the two her brothers, she knew that they had come to kill her. That is to say, the rhinoceros that was an extension of herself. But they did not know who she was. They perceived her only as an old woman carrying firewood. It is proper for the young to help the old, they insisted. Give us the firewood, we will carry it. No, I don't want any help, Kone answered. Why should you carry my firewood? I don't need you. You are old, grandmother, the brothers persisted. It is not right for you to carry when we can carry for you. Kone continued walking, she did not answer, but Kirama and Kanjekan followed her, repeating that they would carry her wood, but she did not stop. So one of the brothers said, Grandmother, let us give you some of our milk to take home with you. No, I do not want your milk, she answered. Well then, the other brother said, take these two colored nuts. Why do you persist? I don't need anything, Kone refused. The brothers followed her to her house, but she went in without accepting the colored nuts. 
Then Kirama and Kanjikan went to the chief of the village and they explained to him that they had come to the, kill the ferocious rhinoceros. The beast can only be killed by exceptional hunters, the chief said. We are good hunters. That is why we have made the journey from Manding. So the chief had a welcome feast prepared for the brothers and gave them a house to sleep in. The feast that was prepared was chicken and rice. Now, whenever an animal was killed, it was divided in a certain way. Each part had a special meaning. The head meant something. The breast meant something. The legs meant something. The neck belonged to the person who killed it. So when the chicken was brought to Kirama and Kanjigan, they divided it. They took the breast and a leg of the chicken to Kone and offered them to her. Hey, why are you bringing me these parts, Kone said. We bring them out of respect, the brother said. I've heard your names, Kirama and Kanjikan. What do I have to do with Kirama and Kanjikan? Are we related? No, yet you bring me the breast which is reserved for a person's grandmother. I am not your grandmother. You bring me the leg which is reserved for one sister. I am not your sister. However, after saying this, Kone accepted the meat, for there was a saying that even if one's enemy offered meat, it should be accepted. Having given Kone the breast and the leg, Kirama and Kankejan returned to their home. Every day after that, they brought things to the old woman, groundnuts, milk, and other kinds of food. They began to sense that Kone had knowledge and special powers. On the fifth day, it was Kone who came to visit them. They conversed until it was late, and when she was ready to leave, they accompanied her home. Before entering her house, she said, Young men, you have given me the respect that the people of the village have forgotten to give. If the others had done the same, the village would not now be suffering. Therefore, I am going to reveal secret knowledge to you. In saying what I am about to say, I am putting myself in your hands. I am ready to do this because I want to die respected, not abandoned and forgotten. The brothers did not understand what Kone was saying. She seemed to be speaking in riddles. So she went on. I know that you came here to kill the rhinoceros. I knew it before you even spoke to the chief. I am the one you came to kill, for I am the rhinoceros who roams the bush. But you respected me even though I am old and poor. I give the secret to you. I brought misery on the village because it forgot the duty and the meaning of respect. Once I was a respected grandmother of the village and the people brought me Jaka so that my granddaughter and I could go on living in dignity. Then we faded from everyone's mind. I am too old now to farm. I am too old to fish. I am no longer regarded as worthwhile and no one brings me anything. This is why people are suffering. Just as I have nothing, they have nothing. We are equal again. If the whole village is poor, then I am no different from them. The old woman went on saying, Now before I tell you the things you have to know, let us go to the edge of the village. And it was the custom in those days that when a solemn contract was to be made, it was done outside the village, at the edge of the bush, where everything was neutral. Kone, Kirama, and Kankajan squatted down so that they were neither sitting nor standing, suspended between earth and sky, because this is what people did when they made pledges to one another. These are the pledges to be made, Kone said. I will reveal to you the way in which the rhinoceros can be killed. In return, you will promise me happiness for my granddaughter. When you leave here, take her with you and see that she is treated well. On this condition, I give you my life. Yes, grandmother, we agree, the brothers answered. Good. 
The woman said, now this is what must be done. Follow the south trail from the village. There is a grove of trees and beyond it another grove. Beyond the second grove is the water hole where I go to drink every morning just as the sun is rising. Be there on time. You'll see me coming from the water hole. Do not place bullets in your gun because bullets cannot harm me. What you should place in the gun is this. Two color nuts, some shake dung and rice water. After saying that, the woman returned to her house in the village. Kirama and Kankajan also returned to their house. They discussed what the old woman had told them. How can we believe what Kone told us? Kirama, the older brother, said. To kill a rhinoceros, one must have a bullet. The old woman must be mad. Older brother, Kankajan said. We traveled a great distance with a purpose in mind. We came to accomplish something no other hunters have been able to do. We have already been here one month. Let us do as the old woman says. So the next morning, before dawn, they followed the south trail from the village. When they reached the second grove, they saw that the water hole was just beyond. They prepared their gun, as the old woman had instructed them, placing in it two color nuts, rice water, and sheep dung. After doing this, they climbed a tree. Kirama still did not believe that the gun could kill anything, but when the rhinoceros came from the water hole, Tankejan shot it. With only one shot, he killed the rhinoceros. Kirama did not believe the animal was dead. He did not want to come down from the tree. Tankejan came down. He put his foot on the dead animal, saying, You see, older brother, it is dead. Come down, come down. But Kirama would not come down. Before I believe the rhinoceros is dead, you will have to cut off its tail and show it to me, he said. And so the younger brother cut off the animal's tail and held it up for Kirama to see. And Kirama saw that the animal was truly dead. He began to sing a praise song about Kankejan. Oh, my younger brother, you are brave. You have performed the heroic and glorious deed. And he recited Kankejan's ancestry and all the courageous things he had done in his life. There are some who say that when Kankejan cut off the tail of the rhinoceros, it was the beginning of a tradition. Thereafter, whenever a hunter killed an animal in the bush, he cut off its tail and displayed it as proof of his accomplishment. It is also said that when Kirama sang the praise song to Kankajan, he became the first bard or griot of the Diabate family, which traces its ancestry to Kankajan. Since that day, the descendants of Kankajan have been praised in poems sung by descendants of Kirama. The two brothers returned to the village and showed the people the tale of the rhinoceros, saying, We have killed the fierce animal in the bush. Now you may go safely hunting for meat. The village was happy. Everyone admired Kirama and Kankejan for their accomplishment. Now it was a custom in those days that whenever someone performed a worthwhile deed, the chief would reward him with a gift. The chief would ask him what he wanted and the people would indicate what he wished to have as a price. And the person would indicate what he wished to have as a price. So the chief asked the brothers to name their reward. They were thinking about the debt they owed to Simbo Kalaba, the wise man who had divined for them. So they answered, The only thing we want is a young girl for a wife. Good, good, the chief said. He ordered a festival to be held and instructed that all the girls unmarried, all the villages unmarried girls should be there. The festival began. Many of the girls were beautiful, but the brothers did not choose any of them. We do not see the one we are looking for, they said to the chief. The village can offer you only what it has, the brothers, the chief said. Ah, did you bring all of them? Are there no others, the brothers asked impatiently. 
Oh, perhaps there is still one more. An old woman named Kone has just died. She had a granddaughter, one of the chief's advisors said. You speak of the old shabby woman who lived on the outskirts of the village, another advisor said, and the dirty beggar girl who stayed in her house with her. Do not think about it. Heroes should not accept such a present from a chief. Who knows what they are looking for? The first advisor replied. They have rejected all others. So the people brought Kone's granddaughter from her house. She did not resemble the others in any way. Her skin did not shine. Her clothes were only rags. Poverty had made her ugly. Yes, this this is the one we like, Kiraman Kankajan said immediately. And the people of the village turned to each other saying, Ha, ah, this is the one. All these beautiful girls and they choose the old woman's granddaughter. But the chief saw that the brothers were in earnest. So he said, if he's truly the one you want, take her. Kirama and Kankajan took the girl. They left the country of Segu and returned to Manding. They brought the girl to Simbo Kalaba, the diviner. We accomplished what we went to do. Yes, yes, I know, Simbo Kalaba said. I read it in the sand. It was as you described. We did not defeat the rhinoceros through heroism, but through respect. The old woman Kone wanted only one thing. Respect, which we gave to her. In return, she gave us the secret of how to kill the rhinoceros. Yes, I know, Simbokalaba answered. In the village, they gave us this girl. Yes, Simbokalaba said. This is the one I've been waiting for. Simbokalaba took the girl as his wife. He cared for her. The appearance of poverty washed away. Her skin shone like breast. She had children, and her children had children. And one of those grandchildren was Sondia Takeda, who in time became the ruler of the country of Manding. What a read. So while while the, the notes for the story load, because my internet is still running a bit slow, um, thoughts on the story, thoughts, questions, comments. I'm, I'm glad to see the connection back to Sondia Takeda because there is there is a, a story about Sondia Takeda which I've read. I mean, I think I've done a tweet thread about it before, which, or we have read the story in a Twitter space, that's what happened, which tells another version, similar, but another version of this story. So yes, questions, thoughts, comments, reactions. Well, just that that idea of your your feelings, your 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 efforts to control your power, whatever manifesting as a rhinoceros like that, is just amazing. It, it really is. And and you know, earlier today, um, for uh, other work that I'm doing, as you know, Laura, I was reading. Um, Amory Talbot's um, account of his stay among the Ibibio and the Efik and Ekoi people in um, southeastern Nigeria. And he talked about the belief in what they, they call bush souls, right, which are the spirits of trees, plants, and animals which um, live in human beings. And there is this connection that people have with different plants, with different animals, with different trees, and you know, these these were usually revealed in dreams or events which, you know, connected a person to whatever their totem is. And you have sometimes people who um, have totems which have never been in their families before. So it's interesting to see this, to see this um, show up 
in other parts of the African continent because obviously that's a very, very per- pervasive belief, you know, animal totems, it's all over. Um, another thing that struck me with this story was um, the, the diviner, you know, quite possibly a, a babala who was, you know, doing um, Ifa divination with the tree and the sand. So that's interesting to see as well, again, considering that this story is coming out of the Soninke people. So it shows the way I think of it, it shows some connection um, between Ifa divination and all these cultures, which makes sense because um, that style of divination has different iterations and they show up in different parts of the African continent from north, south, east, west, from all over. So, and of course, the, the connection to Sindhieta, because there's the story of Buffalo Woman, which is um, the story of Sogolon, who is Sondieta's mother. So in this story, it is the girl's descendants, but in, in the Sondieta origin, the Sondieta story, this woman is actually um, Sogolon's mother, and she didn't ever become beautiful. She remained ugly and hunchbacked, and that's part of part of her mystique. So, but yeah. Lots of lots of thoughts about this. Um, CC, I saw you activated your mic. Do you want to say anything? Um, yes. Can you hear me? Okay. Yes, ma'am. Yes. So, um, yeah, I had a lot of thoughts on this one, but I think one that was um really sticking out to me um would be like again like the praise between um the two brothers again. Mm-hmm. That one really stuck out to me again, like how it's expanded not only between them, but also like just generations down. And then that's another um, story on how like the bars came to be. Uh I guess another thing that did stick out to me as well is the topic of like respect and dignity Uh and how they really, as soon as they lost value in um, the the grandmother and her um, daughter like that's when like the visit the village started to like suffer and it can I guess like it really just showed like you know the power in like giving human beings like the respect and the love that they like deserve and like how important like I guess communal work is considering Mm -hmm. you know that and then also I guess like her power that much again like people were underestimating her Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. And then again, the divination, I think that's like one of the final points again, like how tying back again to like there was no value seen in like the granddaughter and like how she was dirty and all that kind of stuff. But it was through her that in a generation, she ended up warning like a ruler too. So like mm-hmm. it was just, it was so, so many thoughts still more, but I still need like to process, but it was just really an interesting story. I just really loved it. Oh, thank you. Thank you for highlighting all of that. And this is my favorite kind of story, the ones that have details like this tiny little tidbits. You know, it, it just feels like a, a piece of cloth with all this beautiful embroidery on it, which makes the, 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 the life, makes things come alive um, in the story, the people, their culture and everything. And you are so right about that respect piece, because um, I don't know how many people in the room are from African countries. But there can be an interesting dynamic around the elderly in African communities. Um, On the one hand, there are these bastions of wisdom who are respected and treated with the the utmost, you know, reverence. In other contexts, they can be really neglected, like so patently neglected. You you wonder, you know, where all the, the proverbs about respecting your elders went, right? And... So what I think what this story really drives home that point that, you know, you, you might have a culture, but that culture can change 
as as it did amongst the people and and their attitudes you know towards something that they value changes and sometimes there are actual consequences to that right um you know growing up in cameroon we had neighbors you know we had this one woman who um was quite elderly um, she we called her Titi, and there were people in the neighborhood who were convinced that this woman was a witch just because she had a giant mole on her on her on her chin, and she mostly kept to herself. But this much I'll tell you: nobody's mangoes tasted like Titi's mangoes. Like she had one tree, which she harvested these mangoes from, and they were gone. <laughs> right. They were gone. As soon as she put that tree out, they were gone because they were so good. They were like these kind of round, so not oblong, like you'll see some mangoes. They were gigantic, round. The thready, sweet mangoes, you know that one that you bite into and you pull away and there are threads sticking through and there's just juice dripping down your face. So as much as we loved her for her mangoes, you know, other times people would behave abhorrently towards this woman just because she was old and she lived alone with like, some grandchildren and they were very poor so it's it's always interesting to observe this dynamic as it shows up but calls our attention like you said city to the fact that respect is important you know these people had this this great system where they they took care of the elderly um and then time and circumstance perhaps caused it to degenerate and unfortunately for them she was someone with power who kind of shook things up a little bit so Lots to think about there, lots to think about there. And thanks for thanks for highlighting um, all these little interesting pieces to it because that's, that's what just makes the story amazing. It really does. Alora? I'm going to talk about the that contrast too because the diviner understood all this, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the diviner understood the woman, her power, her situation, what needed to happen to make it right. Whereas even at the end, the villagers didn't didn't yeah. learn the lesson you know and mm-hmm. i kept wondering are the brothers going to tell or not tell or is it going to remain forever a mystery and so for the villagers you know she was just this old woman who died that was it mm-hmm. and they didn't see the profound connection that we got to see as the audience of the story between the woman and that powerful animal right and that's something that i i see will come up quite a bit in in stories where this it's not uh, it's not a moral tale you know it's not trying to teach anyone a lesson expressly it's relating a series of events of course you having the omniscient view of the reader you see the connections but you you see that the people in the story don't exactly learn anything from what they went through so um but absolutely laura absolutely the the fact that you had this divine and this wise man who you know basically saw things before they unfolded and and made sure that everybody had the information they needed without giving too much away. I think that's my my favorite thing about diviners when they show up in stories because they communicate without really communicating and that can have disastrous consequences sometimes as as we all know. So, but yeah, yeah, lots lots of nice chewy bits in the story to, to spend some time on. Any questions, thoughts, comments before we wrap up for the evening? Um, I don't think we'll make it to the third story because I, I want to respect people's time and keep our gathering to um, the hour mark. But Sissy, last words? I guess um, another thought that I had, I'm not going to lie, I did feel sad um, when she kind of like it was accepting her fate, like, you know, put her life in like the brother's hands. And I was wondering if there could have been another way where she still survived 
and then got the respect that she wanted, not in death, but like through living. Um, but yeah, I, I was just so sad when she had to go mm-hmm. and just give up, you know, her 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 um, daughter, her granddaughter, and stuff. But yeah, I don't know. Right. You know, maybe she taught them a lesson, and then they kind of came to their senses and returned to treating her. With right. Respect. If there could have been that sort of solution where like the mm-hmm. villagers understood about how connected they were and like the actually how valuable they were in the end. Right, right, but, right. Yeah, unfortunately not the case in this story. And you you'll be interested to know that sometimes as there there are other stories where the old woman is treated with such disrespect and the curse she calls down is basically to flood the village and kill everybody in it. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's a theme in quite a few stories from the continent. Mm-hmm. Usually, an old sick woman or a child or you know disheveled man um, gets treated, you know, without with with a lack of hospi- hospitality by the mm-hmm. villagers, and they basically call rain, which destroys everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is often linked to the origins of certain lakes. I know that at, in a couple of stories from Cameroon, where I'm from, um, there is at least one or two lakes which are supposed to have come about um, as a result of this. So, but you might be interested in the version that that's told in the in the Sundiata epic, because in that version, this old woman is not just any old woman. She's actually the king's sister who was dispossessed of of her her royal, you know, position and all the due honor that was due to her. Right. Um, and as a result of this, she basically became the buffalo of Do. Um and you know her her spirit her race or one of her servants or one of her iterations was Sogolon, the hunchback woman who the hunters were instructed to ask for. Um so I'm trying to find uh I know we had a Twitter space talking about her. Um I'm trying to see the space is definitely not available, but here is something about the book and a link to the book which you can access with a free internet archive account so a couple of tweets if you want to read an alternate version of this story um yes thank you this is is a great place to go so and in in that in that story she has quite a bit more agency you know you you can sense that she's ready to die she wants to go but she wants to make sure that her going Mm -hmm. is spectacular and she wants to make sure that her protege is well taken mm-hmm. care of, which, you know, she ends up married to a king and births one of Africa's greatest, greatest kings and conquerors. So that's that's going out with a bang, if I do say so myself. Um, so cool, cool, cool. I hope I hope you enjoyed reading. I hope you do. So we're wrapping up for the evening. Any questions, thoughts, comments before we go? If not, I would just like to thank you all again for making time to get together. This is the highlight of my week, usually, because I get to spend time with you and read stories and talk about stuff. So we'll be back next Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern Time U.S. We read stories, we talk about them, we just have lots of good old time. And um, if you miss any session, not to worry, uh, I record them so I can, you know, download them and they get uploaded as a podcast so thank you all again for making time i really really appreciate your interest your curiosity your support and stay tuned for more great 
stuff from mythological Africans. You guys, take care. Have a great weekend. Please be safe. As I always say, there is corona and monkeypox and all kinds of craziness out there. So take care of yourselves. Take care of your people. And I'll see you all next week. Okay? Thank you. If you'd like to participate in these discussions, please follow Mythological Africans on Twitter at Mythic Africans and set a reminder for Friday evenings at 5 p.m.